Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Brought to you by Leaving the Ring Network. All boxing. No filter. He's not getting up, Jim. He's not getting up, Jim. He's not getting up. No, he's been knocked out. It's over. Mamma mia, he's done it. Anthony Joshua defeats Vladimir Klitschko. AJ does it in style. Beaten down, hopeless, without an answer, and Lomachenko has made Rigandau quit. It's Fistionados with Evan Rutkowski. He's a good boy, you know. Hello, fight fans. It is Wednesday, June 19th, and this is the Fistionados podcast on the Leave It in the Ring radio network. I'm your host, Evan Murkowski, former HBO Sports Marketing Executive, giving you my take on what's happening in the sport of boxing on your screen and behind the scenes. Email me at fistinatos at yahoo.com. Follow me on Twitter at fistinatospod. We are brought to you by Ring Magazine and ringtv.com. A fun show this week. We are going to look back at the Tyson Fury experience that happened on ESPN and, and the Gennady Golovkin experience that happened on the zone and then the deep dive this week will be what is going on at Showtime in 2019 so far to start the year. A few things to plug before I start. My former colleague Kern Badia did a podcast where I was a guest along with a lot of others uh, with certainly higher profiles than myself. It was a great podcast. I really encourage you to listen to it. Um, especially there's a part I wanted to give a particular shout out to my other former colleague Dave Harmon had an excellent segment on the show, especially if you're interested in what happens in terms of like producing an actual broadcast. Uh, Dave is a really smart guy, and he had some excellent things to say, and I encourage you guys to all listen to that. The overall show, it was just sort of, in case you're wondering what it was actually about, I should just say it. It it was about uh, the aftermath and the meaning of Ruiz's shocking victory over Anthony Joshua. So it was about a big event. It's still kind of timely. Again, encourage you all to listen to it. Um, Also, I was quoted in an athletic article by Rafe Bartholomew. Um, I encourage you guys to read that. It was about Triple G and just sort of it was in the buildup to his win over Steve Rolls. that was fun to do, and I think overall, I would just want to say how impressed I've been with The Athletic uh, since I subscribed, not just for boxing, but for everything. Um, look, the, I, I know boxing fans, you sit here, oh, we got to pay for all this stuff. There's a lot of complaints about having to pay for journalism, but I would just like to remind everyone that historically speaking, people have always paid for journalism. Probably most people here probably at one point subscribed to a local newspaper, or if you're younger, your parents certainly subscribed to a local newspaper. This is a very affordable subscription. It's basically three bucks a month, um, and it's 
It's a nationwide sports page. The boxing coverage has been excellent. So if you only care about boxing, I think it is worth it just for that. Uh, you know, I think the writers that they've hired are all in their lanes, uh, specifically, you know, best in class, basically, in, in, in what is happening, you know, in, in terms of boxing journalists. That's not to say there's not other great journalists out there for boxing. There are, but they're top tier people for, for what their lanes are. So I encourage you guys all to subscribe, check it out. Um, and if you are into other sports besides boxing, there's a lot of great material there. I, in particular, I think the MMA coverage has been strong. I think the NBA coverage is excellent. Um, and I haven't really done much NFL reading, but I have heard from other people that that's really good too. Okay, let's jump into it. Let's jump into the review section. We had two fight cards of note on Saturday, June 8th. Let's start with the return of Triple G, where Gennady Golovkin wins by KO4 over Steve Rolls. Also on the card, Ali Akhmedov beats Marcus McDaniel at super middleweight by KO3, and Brian Sabalo beats Bak Baktia Yuboff by unanimous decision at welterweight. No ratings for this card, obviously. It was on DAZN, but I've said before, this is all about getting Triple G a fight in the DAZN universe and moving towards making that Canelo Triple G 3 fight in the fall. For a lot of boxing hardcore fans, they, you know, want to see both guys in other fights like the hardcore fans may not want to see the third fight there they've seen this movie before but this is a subscription driver for his own it's quite frankly why both of these guys signed nine figure contracts especially triple g with his to fight in particular um i'm sure his wants this fight at least once they might even want it twice uh you, we may be seeing canelo triple g three and then at a later point four so <laughs> be prepared uh the only really other interesting thing on this card was ali akmadoff who he was always viewed as a good prospect and he did look really good here in a fight it was a fight he clearly should have won but it was great exposure for him to be on an undercard to a tr triple g fight and i think what's interesting from that standpoint too is triple g's trying to build a stable and like this guy seems legit like so far from what we've seen. I mean, I applaud the strategy on Triple G's part to go in this direction. And, you know, it, with what he's doing, guys from that Eastern Bloc in, in Kazakhstan, like it seems like a good place to start. I mean, you do have to wonder about the commercial upside if that's all you have. But, hey, it's a great place to start. And more importantly right now, it seems like they, like these guys are going to be pretty good and they at least have one really good one. And if you're really good and you get yourself into contention for titles and big fights, you're going to get paid, even if you don't have the biggest fan base in the world. I'm definitely paying attention to where this goes. All right, uh, let's talk about Saturday, June 8th from Reno, Nevada on ESPN. We had Oscar Valdez winning by unanimous decision over Jason Sanchez for Valdez's WBO welterweight title. Gabe Flores Jr. also on the card. He wins by unanimous decision. The show does an average of 799,000 viewers. It was the number seven cable show of the day. It directly followed the UFC prelim card for the UFC pay-per-view. And the UFC prelim card, that did an average of 964,000 viewers. It was the number four cable show of the day. Both shows, especially the UFC prelims, did very solid numbers in adults 18 to 49 and adults 18 to 34, which is very encouraging. Most importantly for, for boxing, it's how boxing retained 
some of those younger numbers, uh, which other boxing hasn't always done. The top ranked show actually, um, it actually beat the UFC show for adults 50 plus in the ratings. I think the UFC show, if you look just at adults 18 to 49, it was the third best cable show of the day. And boxing was still number seven in that demo uh, in terms of cable numbers, which is a a victory for boxing in general. And it means that boxing retained a decent proportion of that younger audience and then obviously added some older viewers. So two major takeaways here. I think first, we can go ahead and say that now Oscar Valdez is officially a TV draw. He, you know... He has he had this exciting reputation, and you can definitely see gains being made on the defensive side for him when you look at him in the ring. But in terms of just a TV draw, historically, like he had done well, but he'd always had you know support. Like uh, he'd always had a noteworthy opponent, or he always been you know maybe not in the main event or something like that. But like he got eight hundred thousand viewers, which is a good number. He got a good rating. He does it without a noteworthy opponent at all or without a noteworthy undercard fighter, you know, who at least has like some kind of history of drawing TV, TV audiences. The other thing we can take away here is that putting on a boxing card for top rank on ESPN after a UFC prelim, that is, that is working. Like that's now happened a few times this year with some very good results. I'm going off memory right now. I think you know, maybe there's a world where there's a deep dive. You know, I, and I think I mentioned this last show. I probably will do a deep dive coming up soon on sort of aggregate in the aggregate what Top Rank and ESPN are doing right now, just because there hasn't been that like noteworthy breakthrough fight that's done a huge audience yet. There's been some interesting stuff on ESPN Plus, um, and there's been some bad results on ESPN. You know, maybe on some unfavorable dates. But I think it's almost time where we can do something in the aggregate there. This would be something I'm going to look at. I mean, this is now something where we've seen a few successes, and I think it makes sense to put two combat sports together. Um, and I'll leave it at that for right now. I, you know, I, I think you're hopefully getting the best of both worlds. All right, so moving on. We had a lot of streaming action. So moving on to this past weekend, we had a lot of streaming action. Let's start with the smaller stuff. Uh, I mentioned last episode, and I guess I'll just mention this. From Australia on ESPN+, Plus, the Maloney brothers won. I'll leave it at that. They weren't in significant fights. Uh, But then from Leeds, also on ESPN+, Plus on Saturday uh, the 15th, we had Josh Warrington beating Kid Galahad by split decision. This was a pretty close fight. I mean, I watched it. And I, I didn't score it round by round. I mean, I, I watched it sort of casually, and I tended to think that Warrington won more rounds, but there were a lot of close rounds. I tended to sort of not agree with the British announcers who made it pretty clear that they thought Galhad was going to win and had done the better work. I thought, you know, he mostly fought a negative fight. But I just think that's noteworthy as we continue with the streaming era, and, and I think not not a major issue yet. I'm just sort of raising the issue because I think it's noteworthy. Like, how do you approach these short these sort of things? Like, should there be a U.S. team doing you know calling the fight remotely uh, in the afternoon, like from L.A. or New York or Bristol or wherever? Uh, I don't know the answer to that. I think you know we've seen it done a couple different ways on ESPN Plus, and I think ESPN Plus and DAZN will will face these issues both in terms of branding and in terms of of fan experience. And I mean, you know. Just to be clear, like I'm not saying the announcers did a bad job here, but what I am saying is that when 
places like ESPN and DAZN need to figure out like how to present this to their audiences because do you want it to feel like an ESPN fight with ESPN announcers? Do you want it to feel like a DAZN fight with DAZN announcers? Um, yeah, there's logistical hurdles to this. I mean, obviously there, there was another fight on ESPN plus that day in America. So you would have had the normal announcing team having to do double duty, but it's just something to consider, uh, and something to figure out. And again, it was a close fight. I don't really know if it was a good fight. It was a close fight. Warrington, uh, you know, what does it mean? Warrington seems to want to come to America. I mean, he, he out and out said that. And the question is, what meaningful fights are there for him? I mean, the, the Frank Warren, Tom Frank relationship means that both Shakur Stevenson and Oscar Valdez are, you know, could be options. Uh, Gary Russell Jr. might be sort of having this free agent moment uh, where we don't know, like, what's going to happen with him. Um, I think if it's Oscar Valdez, I think that would be an incredible fight. I think that could happen right away on ESPN. If it's Shakur Stevenson, I mean, we'd have to see how Shakur looks in his next fight, but that might require Warrington, you know, maybe Shakur to do another fight and then Warrington to do uh, his own fight where he's sort of headlining a regular ESPN show and give him a little bit of more exposure in the United States. And then you make that fight. I don't really know. I mean, Warrington is a really good fighter. I don't think he's elite. Maybe that is just bias based on what writer, you know, British writers or maybe even odds makers, because he's always sort of been this underdog. Maybe it's the lack of power. So maybe, maybe that's not a good take. I don't know. Maybe he is an elite fighter. Um, but I don't particularly think he is elite. I think he has the style that on a good day can beat elite fighters based on activity and, and, and just sort of his smothering style. Uh, you know, but you look at the matchups possible for him, uh, Shakur Stevenson and Gary Russell Jr. It, you know, Russell Jr. in particular, I'd probably, f- uh, just favor based on hand speed advantage and probably Shakur too, although Shakur may not have enough experience. So you got to wonder, you know, is that a closer fight? Um, if look, but if they can't deal with his smothering style, I mean, Warrington could easily win both of those fights. I mean, I, I you know, again, I probably favor Russell Jr. more right now. Uh, you know, I would definitely favor Valdez against Warrington, but I think that'd be a great fight. Um, and and I think Valdez against Warrington, just in terms of biggest stature fights you can make in the division Valdez against Warrington and then Russell Jr. versus Santa Cruz I think those are the two best fights you can make in the division so you know taking a step back like this is again a division that could get really interesting I mean PBC has had opportunities for a while but they haven't gotten the bigger fights made for whatever reason Uh, we don't really know both fighters seem to have said, hey, we want it. But both Gary Russell Jr. and Santa Cruz have fought a series of bums now. Um, and I know people always say that, I hate to use the term bums. They've they've really fought subpar competition. There's just no question about it. You know, top rank is now seemingly starting to have a moment. But Valdez might have to move up and wait. Um, you know, Warrington, if he comes to America, he's unproven as a U.S. TV draw. Like, this is by no means a slam dunk for them. Uh, you know, Shakur Stevenson, still definitely a prospect, still has yet to prove himself as a main event TV draw. Russell Jr. is now a free agent, like I said. Like, this could all get 
splintered again very easily. I mean, from a business perspective, it's a fun one to keep an eye on because it can go a lot of different ways. And there are pathways to either making a lot of the great fights and having this up, you, you know, this end up as be like, yes, we were all satisfied. Like we saw a lot of the great unification fights get made and, 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 you know, this ended up as a great satisfying, you know, sort of way to close out this era of the division, or it could end up just being as that classic case of disappointment in boxing, which we, especially in the last, maybe not in the last couple of years, but before that, you know, sort of at the end of the HBO era, we just got used to seeing as, you know, typical boxing disappointment. Um, okay. Let's move on to the world boxing super series show on the zone from Latvia, where we had Maris Bredis winning by KO3 over Christoph Glowatsky, and then Unier Dortikos winning by KO10 over Andrew Tabidi. The Bredis win over Glowatsky is marred by controversy, because for those who didn't watch it, both fighters fouled each other in exchange in the second round that only Bredis got penalized for, but he clearly should have been penalized for. And then Robert Byrd didn't hear the end of the second round and... Very much after the bell, Bradis dropped Gowatsky, uh, who should have been recovering from that was the second knockdown of the round. Gowatsky should have already been sitting on his stool recovering from the first knockdown of the round. I don't really know what the answer is to this, and it's one of those things like when you're doing this tournament format, it really sucks when this kind of stuff happens. I mean, Bradis was probably the better fighter, and given Gowatsky's style, like, look, either way, we were treated to a really action packed matchup. I mean, Golaski under normal circumstances would deserve a rematch, uh, but it's tough to see that happening straight away here. I mean, maybe this can end up being a fun fight for whoever wins the tournament after the finals. I don't know. Um, but not the greatest look for, and, 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 it, and what might end up being sort of the classic example, like, hey, this is why you shouldn't have tournaments. I mean, I still think it's it was fun, and, and I still think we're going to get a great finals. Moving on to Dortikos, I think he looked great. He set up the KO really well. Uh, wasn't the most fun fight to watch, especially in the first couple rounds, but towards the end, it, it got fun. I think the two best guys won. I mean, I think we have another interesting finals matchup at Cruiserweights. I mean, you know, as far as what this means for the WBSS, I would be surprised if they ran the tournament back at this weight class um, just because, you know, it, it, the, if you look at uh, what happened last year, like the two finalists from last year are now at heavyweight and they're sort of start, just about to start their heavyweight careers. And so cruiserweight was that weigh station. Um, what happens with these guys? I don't know. I mean, if you do the tournament again, I'm not sure Bredis or Dortikos automatically qualify as guys who would want to move up. At that point, you've lost a lot of depth. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what happens. I mean, um, in the grand scheme of things, like this was in, in terms of this year, last year, I think it was the highest profile of the tournaments happening in the World Boxing Super Series. This year was sort of the lowest of the three. And I think it's, you know, I don't see a major problem here. I mean, like I said, there might be some fodder for that argument of, oh, this is what happens when you put together tournaments. But look, between injuries and all this kind of this kind of weird stuff, like this would have been an issue no matter what. And I, I think at all these weight classes, we're seeing interesting finals. I mean, we're seeing them at 118. We're seeing them at one, you know, certainly 140 is the classic example of how this can all go right. 
Um, and I think this will be an interesting finals at one at, at cruiserweight. So I look forward to them. I think they've done a good job of, of keeping weight classes like this in the mix. I don't know what will happen next year with this. I mean, I think they'll need, you know, I think there are clearly some smaller weight classes where you can do a tournament very similar to this. But when you get into sort of the, the middle divisions, the more glamour divisions, um, and certainly heavyweight and cruiserweight, I don't know how they're going to run back a tournament like this in the higher weight classes again. Um, anyways, slight asterisk asterisk to what what happened here in the cruiserweight tournament because I don't love what happened in the Bradis Kowalski fight, but you know more on this in a later pod. Uh, moving on to the big one, we had Tyson Fury beating Tom Schwartz by KO two at heavyweight on ESPN plus. Also on the card, we had Jesse Hart beating Sullivan Brer by unanimous decision. Uh, on the one ratings note here, the undercard to the ESPN Plus show did a pretty solid rating on ESPN2. It averaged 493,000 viewers, and I think it's steadily built. From from what I have heard but not seen, it's steadily built the entire time and, and ended up towards the end of it at a pretty high number. Uh, and then on Friday night before the Friday night before the fight, ESPN did a whole preview on regular ESPN, I mean, it lasted like two or two and a half hours or something like that. And I think there's a lot to take away from this. I mean, I think the first thing is just pretty simple. When ESPN mobilizes behind an event, they are capable of manufacturing real momentum behind it. And when they have someone like Tyson Fury, that gets really easy. Now, the preview show on Friday didn't get great ratings. Like it only averaged around 200,000 viewers. Uh, but almost all the ESPN morning and afternoon programming, we're talking about this fight and that all generally did pretty well on Friday. And I think one of the things here that ESPN does pretty much better than, it's certainly better than anyone in sports is creating content that's perfect for its own ecosphere and we saw elements of that at work here. I mean, we saw it at a pretty good level. And and rather than go through what happened in boxing, let me just use the NBA as an example here. So the, the NBA example would be like Woj breaks some news and then all morning and after the morning and afternoon shows, they sort of take that news and then they talk about it with a range of different takes on it. Like you might have a scalding hot take on one end. You might have a super analytical, highly thought out, intelligent take on the other end. You'll get a lot in between. Like sometimes you'll even get an intelligent response to a hot take or a hot take response to an intelligent take and then some debate back and forth. But the general idea here is that the quote unquote news organization, ESPN, sort of reports news. Then this sort of like, for lack of a better term, like the quote unquote content programming or shoulder programming ESPN sort of gives their take on the news and eventually that might bleed into what I would call like quote unquote sports rights content or live rights content on ESPN with really the major point being that ESPN is essentially creating content that gets good ratings all day long from content that was created by its news team in support of the content that it's showing the live rights for later that night or later during the day. And obviously hyping that up and getting that better ratings. Like this is just the TV part of it too. Obviously there's a huge social media and digital component to it at work. But overall coming back to boxing, 
Tyson Fury as a human being is just sort of built for this. I mean, and this is the first partnership together where they've worked it really well, like as a promotional entity. I mean, Fury is both engaging and entertaining as a self-promoter and he has controversial views on a lot of things, which quite frankly, usually ends up being a boon. It gives people a lot of stuff to talk about. I mean, we've already seen places like Barstool come out with a piece that basically saying that Tyson Fury is awesome. And then we've seen a lot of intelligent commentary from the athletic on this. And we've seen the backlash piece with on Tyson Fury as well with Deadspin, and then and we've even seen it from ESPN with you know Israel Gutierrez doing the little thing on around the horn, I think it was. And I think all of this ended up making the Fury Schwartz fight bigger, and I think ultimately it will make Wilder Fury two bigger, which is really the whole point of this. Uh, let's move on to the broadcast where I did see a lot of complaints. I have mixed opinions on this. I mean, I'm usually, I've usually been the one to defend or at least explain parts of the broadcast to people. Uh, no one, it's funny. It's like, if you're a hardcore fan, like no one really thinks they could do a lot of the jobs of, of a network exec, like, no one really thinks that they could do the legal work for boxing on a, on a network exec or, or the marketing work or stuff like that. But, I mean, everyone basically thinks they're a broadcaster. And <clears throat> in defense of the ESPN broadcast team, I'm guessing with Tyson Fury, they just decided early on that this broadcast in particular wasn't going to be for hardcore fans, which I actually think is a legit decision. I mean, you know... And side note here, like when it comes to certainly marketing boxing, like if you're marketing boxing content correctly, you really aren't marketing to hardcore fans. You're marketing to casual boxing fans first and then kind of general sports fans second and then general public third. Like with the hardcore fans, you're just more enabling them than marketing to them. So you're not ignoring them and like you're not completely saying, oh, we've got you guys no matter what, but it's it's more or less like enabling them and, and giving them the tools to be a hardcore fan. Uh, and and I think that's sort of what, that's the equivalent of what was happening here with the broadcast. I mean, do I think ESPN went a little over the top in their excitement for having Tyson Fury on board based on his skill level and personality? Like, yes, I do. Uh but the bottom line here is ESPN ordered up the full Tyson Fury experience and they got it both in and out of the ring. And yes, maybe it was a little contrived, but to get the ball rolling on Wilder Fury 2 as a really big event, like ESPN needed the full Tyson Fury experience. And, you know, quite frankly, like, what do you think Showtime was doing with Wilder and Dominic Brazil? That wasn't a mismatch on the scale of Fury Schwartz, but both were mismatches. And both in both instances, the networks got their pound of flesh. ESPN now has those highlights of Fury dodging a bunch of punches in a row and then singing karaoke in the ring and press conferencing and all that fun stuff. And you're going to get all of it as a build up to Wilder Fury, too. I mean, you're also going to see that Wilder KO of Brazil a ton and Fury getting up in the 12th round from Wilder Fury 1 a ton, too. And th- this is the f- this was the first real event I mean, it's certainly the first Tyson Fury event, but it was the first real event that made sense for a place like ESPN to hype. Like, this isn't ESPN saying, oh, crap, we've got this overpriced contract that we've signed that we don't know what to do with, so we need to hype it and not lose money. Like, this is like, hey, we've got two real interesting guys vying to be the baddest man on the planet. We've got a lot of news coming from other parts of the heavyweight division. 
And these two guys certainly create interesting content both in and out of the ring. Like, this is, I mean, it's kind of like what, when I was at HBO, what me and all my coworkers only dreamed about. And I know hardcore fans, like, you probably are going to be sick of seeing all this by the time Wilder Fury 2 actually happens. And, you know, it's probably going to look to you maybe the way that you guys look at Canelo Triple G3. But just remember, like, this is the first time casuals are seeing this stuff or being introduced to Fury. Like, if this was some, you know, if if I'm going to use a music analogy, if this was some sort of, like, hipster band, like, you're the hardcore boxing fans. You saw them in a bar with 400 other people. And I'm sorry that that's much cooler than seeing them in an outdoor theater with 10,000 people. But that's what happens when casuals come in to see this stuff. And I encourage it. And yep, like we're going to get more of it, like maybe too much for your taste, but it's going to make the fight bigger. And if you want boxing to succeed as a sport, you need to embrace part of that. Okay, but going back to the broadcast, like, yes, I do think ESPN went a little over overboard. I think they went a little over the top. They probably didn't need to sell it quite so hard. Uh, especially to hardcore fans, like it sold itself. Like we all know who Tyson Fury is, but some of us didn't even know who Tom Schwartz was. But you know, again, I want to be—I will be the guy that points this out. Like hardcores on Twitter complained; they complained about everything. They complained about Lampley. They—you guys are the ones that mute your boxing or and 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 do all these crazy things where just no one's good enough. Like you complained that the zone team wasn't excited enough when Ruiz KO'd Joshua. I actually thought DAZN handled that really well. Now ESPN's too excited for you know Fury KOing Schwartz. And yes, like you're you're probably right on that. Like I'm not saying, but I'm just saying like the only way for a broadcast team to satisfy you guys is to literally go back in time and pull the best hall of fame announcers out at the peaks of their careers from different eras and put them together for you. That's like the only way to satisfy a lot of the hardcore fan base here. I've said it, I'm done. I, I, you know, yes, it doesn't excuse what happened here. And you're probably right. This was over the top. Let's see it toned down. Um, but look, this whole event was a promotional tool. Like the opponent was Tom Schwartz. What did you expect? It would have been a complete waste of time and money if ESPN didn't come out of this, which a whole, like with all these highlights and all this other material that they can use in the future. And like, I, for one, you know, I think circumstantially I enjoyed it, but that was because I was watching it with my wife and explaining to her who Tyson Fury was and why this is all happening if I was just watching it by myself, I might not have enjoyed it as much. Um, anyways, I, I do not want to be the, the podcaster that just defends uh, boxing announcers, but I had to get that off my chest. Okay. For the deep dive this week, we are going to take a look at Showtime and just try to figure out what is happening with the place that I think was actually the top place to watch boxing in 2018. I think in 2018 it had the its first half of the year was the best half of the year of of sort of non-pay-per-view boxing on a on a network in maybe 10 or 15 years. Maybe even 20 years. Uh and but what's what's going on there now? I mean, the first thing I want to say like I've been a defender of Showtime. I've been bullish on them so far this year, even though they haven't put out the best stuff. And it's mostly because, you know, of how strong and an experienced team of leaders they have there, of of just sort of executives in general. Like, historically speaking, when the 
PBC time buy happened a few years ago, like a lot of people thought that that was going to be the demise of Showtime. It clearly wasn't the case. Like Showtime has been sort of the the platform that has anchored PBC boxing, you know, or, or PBC fighters for at least the past five years at this point. And I think in terms of, of how Showtime has marketed PBC fighters, like Showtime has done it best and it's not even really that close. Like, Yes, Fox does have more shoulder programming, but I don't think they're very strategic about it. I think they do too much of it, and they don't do a great job of telling the consumer what is important and what isn't. But if you've been watching Showtime, it's been very clear that every time Deontay Wilder fights, it's an event. And like we just talked about this with ESPN and Tyson Fury. I mean, one of the things in this modern era of boxing on so many different platforms is you need to be able to have your big important stuff break through the clutter. Showtime has at least done that, especially with the Wilder Brazil fight. You know, I mean, not necessarily the greatest rating in the moment, but everything else afterwards in the aftermath, and I think in the buildup too, was was worthy uh, uh, of that. You know, and worthy of Deontay Wilder. I mean, if you're Deontay Wilder, why would you? Why would it even be a discussion to fight anywhere else? Where you know, unless Showtime's involved. I mean, you when you see the treatment like that. And, and I think that is some of the hesitancy for why he didn't sign that DAZN contract. I mean, you know that Showtime is going to do a great job on the shoulder programming, the marketing, the PR. And, and I think that's, even taking a step back, I, I think that's one of the differences with premium pay cable. Like all those services really know how to make something feel premium. It's a difference. It's almost a difference between like grilling a nice steak in your backyard that you got from Whole Foods or whatever, a nice grocery store or something, and then going to a legit A-level steakhouse and getting a steak there. Like, the steakhouse is just built to do it better. Like, it it doesn't matter how good you are at grilling. Um, but I almost I don't even want to get into the shoulder programming right now so much. I actually think that's a different deep dive that I could probably do on everything, you know, in an upcoming episode. I think the big question that hardcore boxing have for Showtime is like where it, it in 2019 is, is where are the premium fights? Like, let's say you pay around 11 to 15 bucks a month for Showtime and I actually checked on this and, and changed my own subscription. You can stream Showtime directly from the source now for 1099 a month. So like, let's just use that number for now and going forward. Like we're into June and you've paid 66 bucks for Showtime so far this year. So what have you gotten? Well, in January, we got Pacquiao Broner, but that was on pay-per-view. So, I mean, I guess you could say we got shoulder programming for that. In February, we got Gervonta Davis, who was supposed to fight Abner Abner Barras, which would have been a decent fight, but we got a late replacement in Hugo Ruiz Jr. with no undercard of note. In February, we also got that weird Eubank Jr. win over James DeGale with the Joe Joyce KO over Stavern on the undercard from the UK. And while it got horrible numbers and i do think was a little just sort of weirdly presented to a u.s audience it was actually some really good fights you know and like side note to the showtime people this fight isn't even on your website so you may want to go back and add it to previous results in march we got arislandi lara versus brian castano fighting to a draw but like let's be honest this is a main event, main event fight in 2019, but it was it would have been a good undercard for Showtime in 2018, not a main event. Um, the undercard was fun for that, not particularly noteworthy. Uh, we got two fights in April, Clarissa Shields fighting against Christina Hammer with, quite frankly, a terrible undercard. And then 
one of the sloppier cards in recent memory with Robert Easter and Rancis Bartholomew uh, fighting to a draw with at least an interesting F.A. Ajagbe performance on the other card, but otherwise a very meh Victor Postal win. Then in May, we got a pretty amazing Deontay Wilder KO1 over Dominic Brazil. We had a lot of interesting shoulder programming leading up to it. We had great results after the fact. Um, on that card, we also got Gary Russell with a KO win in a complete mismatch. And then that mendez Geraldes draw that wasn't that fun. There will be one fight in June. And again, it's not really noteworthy. It's, it's Jamal Charlo fighting Brandon Adams, which I think in 2018 would have been an undercard on Showtime. Um, the undercards aren't very strong either for that fight. So what is, for that night, what is happening the rest of the year that we've heard? I mean, it's tough to say, like, sounds like Gervonta Davis is going to be back on in July against Nunez. Uh, it sounds like Clarissa Shields will have a fight in August where she's going down in weight. Wilder on pay-per-view against Ortiz in September, maybe. Maybe late September, early October, something like that. Uh, maybe there's a fight in the build-up to that. How many more show boxes do we need? Because we've gotten a lot this year. I don't know. Uh, what's different? What was the magic that Showtime had in 2018 that they don't seem to have in 2019 so far? And I think there's a few ways to address this. I mean, the first obvious answer is that in 2018, PBC pretty much only had Showtime. And, you know, yes, there were a few final Fox time by dates and there was one Fox card December 22nd, but you know, for the most part, the time by was over and, and PBC was giving their bad, like washed inventory to those dates. And so you look at, you know, I think the overall point, and, and we'll get to this, we'll, we'll go further, is when you look at what Showtime did great in 2018, they curated excellent boxing. Like, we got stars, we got great matchups up and down the card, we got fights that built towards bigger fights where either stars fought each other or they were put through tougher fights that produce some good TV. And, and some of that's luck. Sometimes you, you do a matchup and, and it's just you the odds aren't great, but it ends up being good TV and that's lucky. But I think it goes deeper than that. And I think as we start to get into some serious questions about what the best pathway is for, for, for Showtime, you know, like there's like, what are they really doing? And I think the first question you ask here is where have the stars gone? in terms of headlining events. Because when you compare 2018 and 2019, this is the stark difference. Like last year in 2018, we saw Mikey Garcia, Adonis Stevenson, Errol Spence, and Danny Garcia each headline twice. Wilder fought once on the network against Ortiz in a great fight, and, and then once on pay-per-view. And then Anthony Joshua, Adrian Broner, you know, the Charlo brothers, Jared Hurd, like they all fought, uh, they all fought once and, and, and Broner and Hurd and Joshua, like they fought as headliners. I, I'm not actually, I don't actually think the Charlo brothers fought as headliners. Santa Cruz fought Morris as a headliner. Like Sean Porter fought Danny Garcia. I mean, obviously 
when you go back and look at that list, like what happened with Stevenson was tragic and he's not going to fight again. Joshua clearly moved across the street in a big free agent signing. He was never really a PVC member. But a lot of these other guys who headline main events on Showtime in 2018 are now headlining Fox and Fox pay-per-view shows. And Showtime knew that Fox was going to have to get some of the stars fighting over there. I mean, I don't think they anticipated that most of the guys that headlined fights for them in 2018 would now be on Fox. And let's be clear here, we're still early. We're basically six months into this PPC Fox deal. But if you were to pick which side you wanted to be on, at least right now, Showtime or Fox, in terms of how things have worked out since both networks signed deals with the PBC, you would definitely pick Fox. You know, Pac Broner was in January, and that was on pay-per-view. But since then, every welterweight of any kind of significance has been on Fox or Fox pay-per-view. And the 154 division that Showtime essentially built, I mean, mostly on undercards over the past two years, but had a couple headlining events has turned into one of the more fun divisions in the sport. I mean, that's that's all gone to Fox. I mean, how did we get to the point where Showtime's 2019 schedule has basically featured, in terms of star power, Deontay Wilder in a one-round fight, Gervonta Davis and Clarissa Shields? You know, the fighters that were in main events on Showtime in 2018 – the only ones that have been on main events in, in 2019 have been Wilder, Arislandi Lara, and Robert Easter. And I want to emphasize here, I'm a believer in Showtime and, and, and have been assuming that they'll get a couple really big fights coming up soon. Uh, but every time a big fight is, is announced, it seems like it's headed towards Fox pay-per-view rather than Showtime. I might have to start preparing to eat some crow on this. I mean... What we've seen so far hasn't really been worth $11 a month. Now, we might get a good upcoming run that will change that, but it's just the truth this year. Now, last year at the end of my rankings, I put Showtime as the number one platform for boxing in 2018. I don't think that's going to happen in 2019. I mean, in terms of total value, like they're nowhere near number one. So it's one thing to call Showtime out for not having the best year so far. I mean, Media members can do that. They do it all the time. And, you know, sometimes it's risky, especially if they have a good relationship with the place. Um, I don't really care about about that. And, and, not, and I don't really mean in terms of access. I just mean I don't really care to call a place out for not being good. What I care about on this show is, is taking it to the next level. Like, why are the dominoes falling this way? And then the next level beyond that, is there anything we can do about it? Or what should be done about it? Like those questions need to get asked. And, and it, it, you know, it's just one thing to point out the problems. It's another thing to talk about next steps. So what are Showtime's options here? I mean, well, they could figure out other sources of content besides the PBC. That is one option. Uh, but it's complicated because they just signed PBC to a, a pretty big deal. And to be fair... No one knows besides the lawyers who worked on it and the, and the high up, the very high up execs. No one really knows what those terms are. I'm sure the spirit of the deal was that Showtime could count on PBC to deliver premium content for all three or four years, uh, but you know it gets complicated because only Showtime and PBC know what is talked about you know, or what has been talked about when it comes to getting PBC fighters. I mean, maybe PBC made it known to Showtime early on that in the first few months of this deal, 
that they signed with Fox, it's important for them to hit certain markers. Maybe they made sure Showtime knew that part of the building process was going to be getting some of the bigger name fighters exposure to larger audiences on Fox, but then bring them back to Showtime for some of the bigger fights. I mean, Espinoza has hinted at that in interviews before. And these are all very reasonable explanations. I mean, I think it's why it's hard to give Showtime anything other than an incomplete grade so far for the first half of 2019. Because remember, most fighters only fight twice a year. So in the first half of the year, we've only seen most fighters fight once on a particular network. We don't necessarily know what they're going to do in, in the fall. The other thing that makes it hard to find other sources of content besides the PBC is because Showtime literally tried to do that. They tried to do that with Devin Haney on Showbox and bring him up that way. And then rather than stay with Showtime, he just went over to DAZN and signed a co-promotional deal with Eddie Hearn. And this is just one example of if, if you don't really know how boxing works, if you don't really understand how it works, then it can be you can end up being good at complaining about stuff, but not too good at fixing anything or offering suggestions. It's a precarious balance here. I mean, if you're Showtime, you have a partnership with PBC and you want their top shelf stuff, but you also want them to stay in business. And PBC is just so big that they can't rely just on Showtime. They will end up losing a lot of the talent that Showtime wants access to. So Showtime kind of needs Fox in this equation. Now, Showtime's probably not too happy with just how much content is going to Fox. And I think especially here, it it's you need to actually look at FS1, too, because that's what's really stripping you out of, if you're Showtime, that's what's stripping the depth in terms of undercard fights. I mean, you, you know, you look at what's one of the main differences between 2018 undercard fights and 2019 undercard fights. There's a lot of good FS1 main events that would have been great undercard fights in 2019 and th- and that's and but you know PBC has to satisfy that requirement of, of the Fox deal I mean you're definitely not happy if you're Showtime with how much of the material is going to Fox pay-per-view because those were all essentially big-time Showtime fights in 2018 I mean, maybe not the Pacquiao stuff I think Pacquiao I think it's fair to say that he's outpriced himself from from what a Showtime pay-per-view can do and and he's in the right matchup so far has shown numbers that I don't know that they justify his salary, but I think they justify him not being on what Showtime's traditional pay model is, is for fighters. Um, but we're going to see it now in the case of like, you know, Spence Garcia was a solid success, but we'll see with the other ones. You know, if I'm theorizing on what happened at Showtime this year, I'm guessing they did increase their budget for boxing a little bit, but I'm guessing that in 2018 they got a good a lot of good matchups just because it's that perfect synergy of that they developed certain fighters well. And then yes, like there was less competition for services among PBC fighters. I mean, you know, and then less competition for boxing pricing overall. And in and, and the case in point here, Deontay Wilder probably got close to $20 million for his fight against Dominic Brazil. And I know Showtime clearly didn't pay all that, but let's just even say they paid half of it. And I think they probably paid more. But even if Showtime paid $10 million of that, 
it's likely four or five times as much as they paid any other fighter in, in 2018. They could probably put on three or four very strong, if not elite shows for what they paid just for that one show in May in terms of, of to all fighters, not just not just Wilder, but if, if you count in what they paid to Brazil and Russell Jr. and then look at what they paid for other shows, I mean, that's that's a that's really that's taking a lot out of your out of your budget. Even if you increase it, it's still it, it, it strips it's strip mining depth basically. You know, I'm guessing that Fox needed some of the stars first to get you know to to do it early on. So PBC just told Showtime, "Hey, look, we'll get you some of the better stuff later." And I know it's not what Showtime wanted to hear because, you know, remember Espinosa has gone on record and and said that he doesn't like to go against major college football in the fall. But you also need to make sure that you have a happy and successful partnership with PBC. And I'm guessing once that the Wilder fight price tag came in and Showtime looked, they just looked at the year and they said, hey, it's going to be the year of one superstar and then we're going to rebuild to find the next guys. You know, and side note, if you're wondering why places like ESPN and Fox and CBS want to keep their talent from fighting on DAZN and want to put DAZN out of business, like this is a classic example as to why Showtime only had to pay that ridiculous amount of money for Wilder because DAZN exists as an entity. Without DAZN, Wilder probably would have fought Brazil for like two and a half or three million bucks on Showtime and they wouldn't have had to cheapen all their other fight cards. Back to the point, Showtime can spin it as like, hey, we were so good with our top guys in 2018 that they're now on pay-per-view in 2019. You know, we've seen that. Mikey Garcia, Spence, Garcia, Garcia, Spence Porter, those, they can say, hey, look, those have graduated to pay-per-view fights. Well, we got you Wilder. And then a lot of our undercard guys have graduated to main events, like Gervonta Davis is a good example of that. And don't forget here, just sort of what happens in boxing happened here too. Like, remember, in an interview last fall, Espinosa hinted that he'd get Heard Charlo as a unification fight, but Tony Harrison beat Charlo and Julian Williams beat Heard. And now there is just sort of a complicated morass of rematches and... Unfortunately for Showtime, like let's just be honest here, out of the in a two network universe for the PBC, rematches probably make more sense where they happen first rather than constantly switching sides. So that's why we were supposed to see the the Charlo Harrison rematch on Fox. I don't know what's going to happen with Hurd and Williams, but you know, I I'd, I'd say that probably makes sense to go back to Fox too. I've said numerous times here that I think with the Fox deal, there are bonuses based on performance, you know, both on pay-per-view and possible viewership numbers. And clearly there aren't bonuses with Showtime, you know, or at least traditionally we haven't seen those in terms of pay cable deals. So Showtime has to be respectful to their partners with PBC, but they also need to strike that balance because at the end of the day, Showtime does need PBC, but PBC needs Showtime as well. And while PBC needs boxing to succeed on Fox, it also needs boxing to succeed on Showtime, which means Showtime needs premium level fights because at the end of the day, to the consumer, if regular Fox is getting the same level fights as Showtime, then why would you pay $11 a month for Showtime when Fox is free? And I know PBC, the talking point publicly, has always been 
hey, it's a different league. Like there's one league, you know, look at it like the NBA or the NFL. Well, the difference here is in the NBA, they show this, the regular season mostly on ESPN and Turner, which are basically on the same cable system. And in the NFL, it's except for Monday Night Football on ESPN, you don't need cable at all to get the NFL. It's on NBC and Fox and CBS. But here there's a stark difference. You're paying $11 a month for Showtime and Fox is free. And and there's ways out of this. You know, I talked a little bit last episode in terms of how much, how there's this pathway for Andy Ruiz to sort of be this huge boon for PBC and, and you know, there's PBC has this sort of management of fighters element to it and adds a layer of complexity because, you know, the fighters, they, the, these fighters that were headlining Showtime events last year now want to be on pay-per-view and, and PBC needs to take that into consideration. They can't just always be the content side that, that te- you know, it, it usually, or at least the way it would work at a place like HBO is HBO would say, Hey, you know, if, if there's a fight, let's just use, let's use, um, Garcia versus Garcia as an example here. You, you know, you say, hey, like, we don't necessarily think that's a pay-per-view fight. And HBO could say that to the manager of the fighter and the and, and the promoter. And the, and the promoter and manager can argue back and say, hey, well, this is why we think it's a pay-per-view fight. And then HBO would say, you know, you get to the point where you get a hit a final number and you say, well, this is what we can offer. And maybe you take on some risk if you put it on pay-per-view and this is how we can help out on pay-per-view and yada, yada, yada. Well, here it's, P- I mean, PBC is basically, there's, they're both sides. They're both the management and kind of the, the, the promotional side of this. Um, and, and that makes it more difficult to explain to, to fighters because usually the promoter assumes a large part of the risk, although the network can assume part of the risk when it comes based on the contract when it comes to pay-per-view but anyways it was probably worth it for showtime to air the wilder fight brazil against a one-off but i think you do need to look at redoing your pay scale maybe paying a little bit more maybe trying to get some of those garcia versus garcia or spence porter fights as a Showtime main event. I mean, let's be honest, one of those two, those two are both going to pay-per-view. Probably, you know, one of the two probably should have been a Showtime main event. I don't really know which one yet. It's too early to tell. It's too early to see. Uh, But there needs to be a distinguishable line between what a Fox main event is and what a Showtime main event is and then what a pay-per-view fight is. Because otherwise, if there's no distinguishable line, then the Showtime ratings are going to continue sort of on this downward trend. I mean, why sign up for it if you're getting the same PBC offering on Fox and if DAZN and ESPN and ESPN Plus are offering a really similar, if not a stronger, product? And remember, I've talked about this a lot, you know, as well as some others. A lot of other people have talked about this too, and, and I know – the, there's the range of Bob Arum saying Showtime's going to be out of business in six months or a year or whatever, and then Eddie Hearn or whatever. But I think what I've always said is internally there will definitely come a point when Showtime will have to justify having boxing on the network. It may not come – I don't think it'll come in 20, 2019. I don't think it'll come in 2020. It might come in 2021 or 2022, though. 
And it was much easier to do that when HBO was the only other game in town at a premium level for boxing. Because the other factor here is as CBS needs to increase the sub base for Showtime, boxing will matter less and less because, look, boxing is niche in nature. And so you combine that with the amount of competition out there, and it's not a crazy pathway to Showtime deciding to wind down boxing the same way that HBO did. But I still think in terms of right now, and I think that that may not happen. That's just a pathway that that could go down. That may not happen. Probably won't. Um, or it may happen more in the distant future. When you take a look back and look at the overall picture, Showtime has benefited greatly from its partnership with PVC over the years. I mean, so yes, maybe this is a rebuilding year where Showtime can feature the Charlo brothers or Charlo and Tank Davis and, and some other fighters who were on undercards over the past couple of years as main event fighters now. They kept Wilder, which was clearly extremely expensive, but really important, especially given what's happened in the heavyweight division. Maybe they wait the market out, you know, for the rest of the year and, and hopefully it settles with them coming back and having you know, a better offering in the fall or, or at least a better offering next year. But I think there's a reason for optimism here, because when this has happened in the past, Showtime has usually come back much stronger. There are some concerns, though. And with so much boxing available everywhere else at much different pricing options than in the past, Showtime is now the most expensive option for boxing fans. And I think that has something to do with the ratings going down a bit this year. Like, I'm one of the biggest proponents of saying the ratings... You know, when you compare them, many times it's apples to oranges, depending on the platform. Uh, and, and in boxing, it's really all apples to oranges because there's 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 no more do you have really an, an, a fair comparison in terms of uh, the platform that it's on. But Showtime needs to make sure that they build some momentum, I think, into this fall for next year. And that they retain that chunk of audience. I mean, you can't be the most expensive option in boxing out of the four major platforms, five if you count ESPN Plus, and then deliver content that isn't the most premium. I mean, especially when Fox is free and ESPN is essentially like if you, it, it, ESPN, let's just call it, it, yes, it costs money, but it is essentially must have content uh, outside of boxing for sports fans, which essentially means that. Most hardcore boxing fans don't look at their cable bill and, and look at ESPN and say, oh, man, I'm only getting that for boxing. It's so expensive. I'm going to stop getting it. Like most of the time it's just almost like a given because you're getting ESPN for other stuff. And, you know, most people listening to the show are going to get ESPN whether it has boxing or not. So I almost put it in the same category as Fox, where, yeah, maybe it's not free, but it's essentially free, or it's essentially just, it's a must-have. ESPN Plus is really cheap. I mean, it's 50 bucks a year. DAZN is 100 bucks a year. Both of which, if you get, you know, DAZN, if you get the yearly option. Now, DAZN is obviously 20 bucks a month if you don't get the yearly option, but if you get the yearly option, they're both cheaper than Showtime. And given what we've seen already this year, if you just look at DAZN, Showtime, to even be comparable to DAZN, it would have to include its own pay-per-view shows for free to just to even be comparable to DAZN. 
if you just look at the fights that were made. I mean, ESPN Plus, like, that's offered, it's a different product, obviously. It's cheaper. It's offered a lot of tonnage, a lot of foreign fights. and But some big names in America, certainly, Lomachenko and Fury have fought there. Um, but I say all this, Showtime can come back. Like, if this is a rebuilding year, or a rebuilding nine months, let's call it, let's see some unification fights in the fall. Let's see one or two of them. Let's build some momentum. And going into the fall... It needs to own the Deontay Wilder business. It needs to make sure that if star fighters go to Fox for a tune-up fight or a fight where they're going to get more exposure, then they come back to Showtime for the big unification type of fights. Maybe it is restructuring the pay scale for that. Maybe it is making sure that they can pay more than Fox can for, for main events so they get those fights. I'm fine seeing less showbox cards or quite frankly, picking specific PBC fighters to develop on showbox and make sure they actually stay on showtime. If you're just going to go see the Devin Haney's of the world sign elsewhere, like let's do less of those sneaking in a UK show. I mean, that's nice for fans, but right now if you're a UK boxing fan in the U S you need ESPN plus and you need the zone, but you don't need showtime. So you're in that weird type of world where you're neither fish nor fowl in the space with UK fights. Like, yeah, it was, it was great to have that fight on in February, but those fights bring your ratings average down. You got to be careful with that stuff on at a different time of the day. It's different with ESPN Plus or DAZN where you just know you're going to get a lot of those fights. Most of all, and I think this is especially key for Showtime because going back to what I originally said, they're only putting on, or in, in, certainly in 2018, they really only put on one premium card a month. And it's kind of what they're doing in 2019. It just hasn't been as premium or, or arguably premium at all. And they need to return to that world of curated excellence that they had in 2018. And, and before that too, it wasn't just 2018. Like, if I'm paying 11 bucks a month for one fight card, I want it to be the opposite of what we're seeing everywhere else in boxing right now. Everywhere else is delivering tonnage, and with that tonnage, there are some really good fights, and there are some premium fights. Showtime should brand itself as the place where you only get premium fights. The undercards are going to be good, too, even if they feature prospects in perceived mismatches. You'll either get exciting TV out of those type of fights... You know, with other undercards, maybe we we need to see more of those loser leaves town matchups where the vets fight each other and the winner is likely going to find themselves in a big fight because of that win. Or if there's a 50-50 fight in an underserved weight class, we saw a lot of that at 154 last year. But there needs to be that type of curation where you don't have to fast forward through a ton of crap to get to the one or two fights that you want to see on a card. This is all accomplishable for Showtime. Like last year, their undercards all led to something, which even if they weren't super competitive in some instances, was important. That just hasn't happened this year. And 50-50 fights, like I said, they're great, but with undercards especially, they can't just be thrown together at some random weight classes. It can't just be a series of 50-50 fights. There needs to be a purpose to them and a storyline that goes with them. And Showtime is definitely capable of doing this. And even though it looks like it's going to be a down year no matter what, the last few months are critical, and especially 
how we go into 20 to 2020, like that's critical. I'm, I'm definitely watching closely. This is a storyline I'm super interested in. I think it's the intersection of what's happening, not only in sports overall right now, but it's certainly the intersection of, of everything that's going on in boxing. And I think it's super important. Okay. Wow. I just keep going long. I'm over an hour already. All right. Let's go to the preview section. I'll try to make it quick, but I don't know how quick it's going to be. There is a lot of mediocre boxing going on in the world this week. Um, I think there are actually a few, and even in the next two weeks, really, I think there's a few decent matchups that even some hardcores are sleeping on. Uh, I'm not a subscriber to UFC Fight Pass, so I won't be watching these. And actually, at the point I'm recording them, I did not watch them. Um, but today, Wednesday, June 19th, there were two title fights happening from China with Ashton Palikde and Kazuto Ioka for the junior bantamweight title. Um, Hiroto Kiyoguchi and Tanat Nakun were fighting for a junior flyweight title. There was also a women's junior bantamweight title on the line. Uh, the Ioki fight apparently was pretty good. He won a fourth title in a fourth weight class. I'm going to skip the Thursday Facebook watch card because you have to draw the line somewhere. I will just mention the card Friday the 21st from Northern Ireland where Tyrone McKenna fights uh, Derek Foley and Stephen Ward fights Liam Conray on ESPN+. There is a really good card Friday the 21st or really good fight happening in Indio, California where Andrew Cancio is fighting Alberto Machado in a rematch for the WBA regular junior welterweight title, but it is the real WBA title for whatever that's worth. Like that, That's the one that really matters. Also on the card, Angel Acosta fighting Edwin, Elwin Soho for Acosta's junior flyweight title. This Cancio-Machado matchup is a great fight. Cancio is a great story. This is not getting the recognition it deserves. There's no odds out on this uh, fight yet, which is – that's a shame. It's it just – both DAZN and Golden Boy should have done a better job with this card. And I know May and June have been really busy months for both guys. But this is a really good fight. There's no reason – it's basically not on anyone's radar. It's not on Saturday night. There's really no reason there shouldn't be more promotion for it going right now, uh, both from a PR and marketing perspective. Also on Friday, June 21st from London, on DAZN, Connor Ben fighting Juicy Kovila and Ted Cheeseman fighting Kieran Conway. Ben is a 3-1 favorite. Cheeseman is a 6-1 favorite. I don't care that much about this fight, uh, this fight card. Showtime has a showbox card on Friday, June 21st, featuring Sebastian Fundora versus Hector Zapata. I will definitely tune in to watch that fight. I don't normally cover showbox cards uh, unless they're noteworthy. This one, at least that fight, is noteworthy. On Saturday, June 22nd, there is an ESPN Plus card from Glasgow where Lee McGregor is fighting Scott Allen for a Commonwealth Bantamweight title. I'll skip the CBS Sports Net card on Saturday, so let's go to Sunday, June 23rd, where Fox and PBC are putting on what was going to be a really good fight uh, with the Harrison-Charlo rematch, which is now Jermel Charlo versus Jorge Cota at junior middleweight. Also on the card, Guillermo Rigondeau fights Julio Sega in a title eliminator, and we'll apparently see Joey Spencer fighting again on TV versus Akeem Black. It's really a bummer for Fox and PBC. This would have been a great fight on a Sunday night. I'm always curious to see how that type of stuff does. Like we, we've seen Sunday Sunday night fights now a couple different times with a couple different results, um, and it's just a bummer because this was a really good fight. It's not, I, I can't sit here and tell you Charlo versus Cota is going to be a good fight. Um, 
it's not a great week of boxing. And I actually think it's almost a symbol for the talking points I've had on the show, <laughs> even on this episode, which is just is sort of lack of curation in this day and age. In the old days, this would have just been one HBO or Showtime card with the Charlo fight and Cancio Machado rematch, and then maybe one other undercard. And then you would have, if you care about all these foreign fights, you'd have had to watch them on some YouTube or some illegal stream somewhere, something like that. Let's move on to the week after. So Friday, June 28th, on ESPN from Temecula, California, we have Richard Comey versus Ray Beltran for Comey's IBF lightweight title. Also on the card, Carlos Adamas and Patrick Day, a junior middleweight. Also on that Friday on DAZN from London, O'Hara Davis versus Miguel Vasquez. Uh, oh, sorry. That is on ESPN+. Plus. There's a DAZN card from Italy that I don't care that much about. There's a Mayweather Promotions Facebook stream that I don't care that much about. Let's move on to Saturday, June 29th from Houston on Showtime, where Jermall Charlo fights Brandon Adams for Charlo's WBC interim middleweight title. Also on the card, Erickson Lubin versus Zakaria Atu at middleweight in a title eliminator. And Eduardo Ramirez versus Claudio Marrero in a featherweight title eliminator. No odds out on any of these fights. I will say Comey versus Beltran and Charlo versus Adams will probably not be competitive, but could be fun. Then on Saturday the 29th, on zone from Providence, Rhode Island, we have Demetrius Andre versus Maciej Suletsky for Andre's WBO middleweight title. Also on the card, Joseph Parker versus Alex Lapai at heavyweight. Khalid Yafai versus Norbelto Jimenez for Yafai's WBA junior bantamweight title. Andre is around a four or five to one favorite at most places. I think Suletsky has a clear path to victory here. I think that is definitely accomplishable from uh, for him. Based on a couple different things, I think just stylistically it's a good matchup. It may not be the best TV-friendly affair, but it is a really good fight. Um, and and again, the, that me- just that much boxing in general happening speaks to exactly what I've been talking about with this sort of lack of curation. But that's a good fight. And, and sometimes it's tough to – I mean, you're talking about breaking through – None of these fights over the next two weeks have broken through the clutter in any meaningful way, and I don't expect them to. And there's actually some good fights. But it's tough because there's just so many fights on, and there and and I don't know what the right answer is for that. I, I, I wish, especially with the Cancio Machado fight, and if I think if Charlo Harrison the rematch would have happened, we we would have heard a little bit more about that. So I'll, I'll give Fox and PBC a pass on that one. Certainly, I think I think we would have definitely heard more about that. Anyways, I've rambled on a lot now. We're at an hour and ten minutes basically. I appreciate you guys tuning in. You heard my plugs at the top of the show. I don't have too much else to say. I'll be back in two weeks, probably either. You know, I've had some interesting ideas for deep dives or just questions in general. A great question on what do I think will be a bigger subdriver, Canelo Triple G3 or Ruiz Joshua heavyweight rematch. That's an interesting topic. I think shoulder programming in general is an interesting topic. I think what's happening on ESPN and Top Rank, like we're, you know, now that we kind of did a mid-year update on on Showtime, maybe that one's coming soon. 
Um, you know, a lot of fun stuff. All right, guys. Talk to you in two weeks. Did you get what you was looking for? With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.